If you're enjoying this podcast and it's helping your writing, come check out one of my Write Your Screenplay classes. You can attend in New York City, online, or even as part of one of our weekend intensives. The class will get really deep into structure, how to build your structure organically, how to find your character, your voice, your images, your dialogue, and how to weave all those things together in a way that transcends the formulas and takes your writing to the next level. My next class starts on January 17th, and so I really hope you'll be able to join. It also includes a one-on-one consultation with a professional writer that will help you really apply those concepts to your own writing and take your project to the next level. So you can find more information about that as well as a full transcript of this podcast at my website, writeyourscreenplay.com. Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay podcast. On this podcast, rather than reviewing movies like critics, two thumbs up, two thumbs down, loved it or hated it, we're going to look at movies in terms of what we can learn from them as screenwriters. We're going to look at good movies and bad movies, movies that we loved and movies that we hated. For an ad-free version of this podcast, as well as a full transcript, please visit our website, writeyourscreenplay.com. This week, we're going to be talking about Destroyer by Phil Hay and Matt Manfredi. And there are so many things that we could discuss in this film, so many different ways that we could learn from this film. We could obviously talk about what a tremendous actor brings, looking at performances by Nicole Kidman and Sebastian Stan and Jade Pettyjohn and this tremendous cast, how the specificity of a performance can amplify the quality of your writing. We could talk about how finding that specificity in your writing can allow these kinds of performers to find those nuances, how this writing and directing team and Nicole Kidman pulled together such an interesting performance, the kind of performance we don't normally see in a mainstream film. We can talk about, hey, it's about darn time that we got to see a dirty Harry with a woman. So we could talk about how to update old concepts like the dirty cop procedural for a modern era. How sometimes you can draw inspiration from genres that have existed a long time and ask yourself, how do I make this genre new and relevant today? We could talk about the use of images, not only by directors, but also by writers, and how this team worked together to do a tremendous amount of silent storytelling. If you think of the first sequence of this film, we have a dead body, we have a $100 bill with ink on it, we have a strange tattoo of three circles. We then see Nicole Kidman, who plays Aaron Bell, the dirty Harry of this particular film, forcing her way onto the crime scene. We're back at work with Erin, and we see that she has her own ink-stained $100 bill. And immediately we know something else is going on. And finally, we see an image of three black dots on the back of Nicole Kidman's neck. And we know that she is tied to this crime in a way that we don't understand. So another lesson that we could draw from this in the quickest possible way is how, as a storyteller, you can use images to deepen the story. And if you're telling a mystery like this one, sometimes simply by creating images that even you don't totally understand, you can start to create that feeling of that tangled web that you then have to unravel. And by doing it, you can create a tremendous amount of excitement. 
digging further into that specificity of images idea, there's a really wonderful scene where Aaron Bell, Nicole Kidman's character, after being in a big fight and another bender, wakes up on the floor. And this is an image that we've seen a million times in movies. The drunk character waking up on the floor after a rough night. And whenever you have one of those images that's normal or that someone could describe as normal, you want to look at that image and you want to go, okay, let me just keep looking deeper until I find something that I didn't expect. And in this case, what we see is we see an ant walking across the floor. And that ant walking across the floor takes this image that could be a cliche image and turns it into a specific image. So we could talk about the power of visual storytelling and how to look deeper into your own images. And those are all things that I wish I could do in this podcast and that I'll get deeper into in future podcasts. But the big thing that I want to talk about when it comes to Destroyer I want to talk about the use of flashbacks because what Phil Hay and Matt Manfredi and Karen Kusama are doing in this film is really freaking hard. We have two parallel storylines happening in different times with the same actors playing characters young and old. We have the integration of those two storylines and we have a little surprise that I'm not going to spoil for you, but a twist in the way that time works in this thing that is extremely exciting. In a lot of ways, the engine of Destroyer is the same as the engine of True Detective. In True Detective, we have the Matt McConaughey character who we're watching in the past and we're watching in the present. And we're trying to figure out how did this guy from the past end up becoming this guy from the present? Someone once told me time is a flat circle. How did this crime change this man in a way that he's barely recognizable? And it's that tension between present and past that builds the interest in this piece. It's also that tension between present and past that has caused most of the criticism of this piece. And a lot of people have really flipped out about this movie. But the people who have struggled with it have found that that intersection of past and present has been a little muddy or even a little bit confusing. And so I want to talk about how to deal with flashbacks I want to talk about how to deal with multiple storylines in your script. And the truth is we could do 25 podcasts on this. This is such a complicated issue. But I want to talk about the beginning. The first thing is we need to talk about flashbacks. We need to talk about what flashbacks actually are. And we need to talk about how do you know if a flashback is working in your script or not. A lot of screenwriting gurus will basically just tell you don't use flashbacks at all. Flashbacks are always bad. If you read Robert McKee, he will tell you, do not use flashbacks, totally wrong. And yet, a lot of the greatest movies of all time have depended on flashbacks. If you took flashbacks out of Destroyer, there is absolutely no doubt you would have a lesser movie. If you took flashbacks out of True Detective, there is absolutely no doubt that you would have a lesser limited series. So, flashbacks are not wrong, but they're hard. And I want to talk about a couple of the things that you can use when you're thinking about flashbacks in your own screenplay to know whether you're likely to succeed or whether you're likely to struggle. Generally, we get in trouble when we use flashbacks in order to provide information for the audience, explain something confusing in our script, dig deeper to help people understand a different layer. When we're using flashbacks for exposition or commentary, when we're using flashbacks to take care of the audience, we are almost always going to run into trouble. When we're using flashbacks to take care of the character, flashbacks can often be a very powerful tool. So how do you know if you're taking care of the audience or you're taking care of the character? Well, the first thing is you can just think of your own languaging in the little voice that you hear in your head all the time as you write. 
Are you thinking about, I'm going to set this up, I'm going to lay this in, I'm going to show them this, I'm going to layer this? If you're thinking like that, you know you're thinking about the audience. And you know you're thinking about the audience because you're not layering things or setting things up for your character. Just like in life, you don't have a conversation to set up what's going to happen in your future. That's something you do looking backwards. It's something you do when you try to tell the story to somebody else who's listening. So if you hear those kinds of words and that little inner voice in your head, you know already that you need to refocus the way you're thinking about flashbacks. If, on the other hand, you feel like the character is flashing back, if you feel like this happens and at this moment the character can't help but remember this thing from the past, then your flashback is much more likely to work. And it's even more likely to work if on the other side of that, when we come out of the flashback, we notice that the character made a different choice, that the character made a different kind of decision based on what happened in the flashback. Because when you start to work like this, instead of pushing backwards in time, the flashback starts to push forwards. And this is the thing about movies. Movies move, and movies move forwards. Movies are always moving forward. So when your flashback pulls us back to the past to explain something to the audience, what happens is we lose our momentum. Our screenwriting becomes more like school, more like an explanation, more like an analysis. When flashbacks drive the story forward by becoming structural, by allowing the character to have an experience, remember something, and then make a new choice based on that memory. When our flashbacks work like that, then suddenly flashbacks become a part of the structure of your piece. They become a part of your storytelling. And they also become a lot more like real psychology, a lot more like the real world, which is exactly what happens to us all the time. We have an experience. It brings up some long repressed memory that we're either consciously or subconsciously aware of. And suddenly we find ourselves making some kind of crazy choice that we never would have made before, driven by that memory. So when you're working with flashbacks, what you want to think about is, am I having the flashback? Or is the audience having the flashback? Or is my character having the flashback? And if the answer is your character, then you're already on the right track. The second question you want to ask yourself is, can my character make a different decision on the other side of this flashback? Does this flashback cause a change in the character, in which case your flashback's likely to be structural? Or does this flashback kind of just lay flat there? Does this flashback happen and show something cool, but not actually affect what's happening in the present day story? That's the second question. The third question is even more important, and this is how you really know if you're cheating or if you're telling the truth. You want to ask yourself, could my character have flashed back at any other time? Could my character have had this memory five minutes before or five minutes after? Or is this the only time did something happen that made it absolutely necessary that right now the character has the flashback? If the answer is that the character probably could have flashback five minutes before or five minutes after, if this flashback could have happened anywhere, you know that the cause of the flashback isn't structural. Just like if you know that the character comes out of the flashback and doesn't make a different choice, you know the effect of the flashback isn't structural. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to get both the cause and the effect of the flashback to be structural. And when I say structural, I mean you want both the thing that leads you in, the cause, and the things that leads you out, the effect, to cause a change in the character's trajectory. You want to feel like the flashback couldn't have happened before or after. It had to happen now. And you want to feel like the character made a different choice having recalled the memory. And in this way, the flashback will start to move your story forward. Now, what's happening in Destroyer is even more complicated. 
What's happening in Destroyer is so hard because the flashbacks in Destroyer are not traditional flashbacks. Traditionally, when we think of flashbacks, we think of an isolated event. We think about one thing that happened, like a memory from our past. We don't think of flashbacks like structure. So, for example, if we think about a movie like Sophie's Choice, the character goes on this huge journey. She has to choose between two men, one who represents life and one who represents death. And she is madly in love with death, even though she wants to choose life. And then there's this incredibly powerful moment where we flash back and we realize that during World War II, Sophie had to make this choice between two children, that one of her children was going to die and one of her children was going to live and she had to choose one. And what a powerful and sad flashback that is. But you can see that that flashback exists in Sophie's choice as an independent little movielet, as an independent little element inside that movie. It doesn't have a structure of its own. If you think about True Detective, and if you think about Destroyer, you'll notice that the flashbacks do something very different. If you think about Blue Valentine, that's another example of a story like this. If you think about Westworld, that's another story like this. In these stories, both the past story and the present story actually have a structure of their own, meaning that we're actually watching characters go on a journey of change, both in the past and the present, that these flashbacks are actually adding up to little movies inside the movie. And so when you build a movie that isn't just independent flashbacks, it's actually two different layers of structure where you have the A story happening in the present and the B story happening in the past. And then you're actually not telling two stories, you're actually telling three stories. The third story is the story of how past and present connect, how the A story and the B story weave together to create something more. And then if you look at a movie like Destroyer, you actually have one more layer of complexity, which is the trick ending, which is that there's a whole other layer of structure that's being built for the audience that the characters are aware of, but that we are not aware of, which makes it even harder. So you have an incredibly complicated script. And one of the things that makes this even more challenging is the more stuff that happens in the past, the less pages you have for the present and the less pages you have for the past. So when you start to build this way, you have to be incredibly efficient. And that's why those concepts that we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, like using visual storytelling rather than dialogue, become so freaking important. Because if you're using long dialogue scenes, whew, you are in so much trouble because you're just never going to have the time to do something this complicated. You're going to run out of pages. What's happening in Destroyer is actually three or maybe even four movies. Movie one is the story of how Aaron Bell went from being a young, naive cop who was on her first undercover assignment, how she fell in love with Chris, played by Sebastian Stan, how these two connected, and how these two broke bad, how these two went Donnie Brasco and became a part of a bank robbing cult, how they started to want the money and not just want to bring the gang to justice. In the present, you have the story of Aaron trying to track down Silas, the psychotic leader of that group. But really, you have an internal story of Aaron having to come to grips with who she really is, who she really has become, and most importantly, her relationship with her daughter, 
which is really the heartbeat of this piece. The most powerful scenes in this piece happen between Erin and her daughter Shelby, played by Jade Pettyjohn. Like in any movie, all this plot stuff doesn't really matter. Just like in life, all our plot stuff doesn't really matter. In this movie, just like in life, what really matters are the hot relationships. Her relationship with Chris, her relationship with Shelby, her relationship with her ex-husband, her relationship with Silas. And those relationships, the way that they spread across these two different storylines, that's what the movie's about. So when you're telling two different levels of structure, or in this case, four different levels of structure, the fourth being how that information is presented to the audience in order to create the trick ending surprise for us, one of the things you want to do, you can't actually plan this. The first draft, the early drafts of this stuff, they have to be instinctual. You have to feel that flashback tugging at you. You have to feel the instinct to come back. And so in an early draft, you're going to have to use a lot of instinct to pull yourself through this story. But you want to make sure that in both the past and the present, we're watching characters make decisions in real time. We're watching those choices get made. If you think about the present day story in Destroyer, you will see how clearly everything revolves around the choices that Erin makes. The mistakes she makes as a parent, the way she tries to protect her child, the ways she tries to make peace with her past, a past that she cannot make peace with, the way that she continually tries to go outside the law in order to bring order to the chaos of her life and in order to try to do right by Chris, the man she loved and lost. So every single decision grows out of those hot relationships and you can really watch her descent in the present. And what's really cool about it is that even the trick ending grows out of the alcohol-filled fugue state of past and present merging and being stuck in a whirlwind of memories that she can't escape, her complete inability to let go of the past and instead being encircled by it. So we feel all that stuff working in the present story, and it works really brilliantly. When we look at the past story, there are so many incredible elements to that past story. There are so many incredible scenes, and the performances are absolutely off the hook. But you'll notice that in the past story, a lot of the choices happen off screen. Now, these are good writers, and Karen Kusama is a good director. And so what we get to see is, again, these visual elements telling the story. So really, that story gets told in three kisses. We get the first kiss, where Sebastian Stan and Nicole Kidman, Aaron and Chris are practicing, preparing for their undercover work. So you get this first fake kiss where he doesn't think she's going to be able to do it and she does it. You get the second kiss, which happens right when Erin Bell gets the information she needs in order to bring the bank robbing cult to justice when she gets all the information they need to now get pulled out and file charges when she makes a decision that's going to change her life forever. And you get the third kiss when she brings Chris around to that decision. In those three kisses, those three visual moments, we get to watch their relationship grow from tension and two people far apart from each other to love twisting people in an unexpected way. So that's great storytelling. But you'll notice when you look at the past also that a lot of those decisions happen off screen. We don't actually get to see how Aaron and Chris fall in love. We don't actually get to see what are the moments that bring them together. 
we get to understand that they fall in love and we're able to believe that they fell in love. And in that way, we're able to understand the comment on the present story, but we're not actually able to see how. The second thing is we are able to see that this cult became a family to them. We're able to learn it by some of the things that the characters in the present day story say, and we're able to see it in some of the huge unexpected choices that Erin makes in relation to those characters when they come back into her life in this present day story. But we're not really able to see how that cult became a family for them in the past story. The reason we're not able to see it is because those scenes don't happen. We really have one scene where Silas shows what a psychopath he is when he forces one of the members to play a game of Russian roulette just to mess with him. So we get to see that Silas is a psychopath, but we don't get to see how this family unit is formed. There's a wonderful monologue towards the end of the film in the present day story where Erin talks about having this anger in her from her childhood. She's talking to her daughter. She's talking about having this anger and that she's still angry and she can't stop being angry. It's a really beautiful monologue. It's an incredibly powerful mother-daughter relationship that's being built out of that monologue. But when we go back to the past story, we don't actually get to see how that cult harnesses that anger, how that cult uses that anger to twist her. We actually have a better sense of how Shelby, her daughter's way too old boyfriend, is using that on Shelby than we do on how the cult is becoming a family for Chris and for Aaron. The structure is happening off screen. We get that. We get the expositional information that allows us to understand it, but we are not totally able to feel it because we don't get to see it. So we get it, but we don't feel it. The third level of structure that's happening in the past that happens off screen is we see that Aaron moves from wanting to bring this gang to justice to wanting the money for herself. And we see her having to make those choices, but we don't see what are the steps that lead her to those choices. We don't see how she changes. We have a couple of beautiful scenes between her and Chris that are really elevated by the performances in them. So we are able to see how she pushes Chris, how she changes Chris, how Chris wrestles with the two sides of his own nature, and we're able to see the final decision that Chris makes that really leads to her personal tragedy. So we're able to see the how of that, but we don't get to see the how of how we get there. Now, why not? Why are these incredible writers not getting us all the way there in such a great film? Here's what's happening. Number one, they plain and simple don't have enough pages. And this is why you really need to ask yourself, am I going to get enough value to do this? They've already got a two-hour movie and they have so much great material in the present that in order to get you that structure in the past, they would actually have to start cutting some storylines in the present. If you notice, this film has a very large cast, and there are all these incredible characters that Aaron interacts with as she goes through her procedural investigation. And in order to make some more room in the past, they would probably have to start to cut down on that procedural in order to create that. Does that mean that that's an impossible thing to do? No, I think it's possible, but it would be challenging. So this is one of the really hard things about writing is that we're always making choices and every choice has to come back to the theme and every choice has to come back to what you're doing. 
a bad piece of feedback on Destroyer would say, well, just cut out the past story and you'll have more time with the present. That's where the best stuff happens anyway. But the truth is, if you did that, you'd have a lesser film. You'd have a film that doesn't fully speak to the theme. You could say, do the opposite. Screw the present story. Let's just go look at the past. I want to see how this couple becomes part of this cult and ends up changing. But the truth is, if you do that, you also have a lesser movie. The power of this movie does exist in the pressure between past and present. When you're trying to tell a story where you really need two levels of structure, three levels of structure, four levels of structure to tell the story like this, one of the things you want is you want to build it intuitively, and then you want to pull out the threads. You want to pull out the thread of the present story. You want to go, okay, if I just had the present story and I didn't have anything of the past, and I just look at that, do I have structure? And if you pull that out of Destroyer, you will say, yes, absolutely, it's 100% there and it's great. You then want to look at the past story and you want to pull that out, take all the present day stuff out and only look at the past story. And you want to say, do I have structure there? Would that movie stand alone as a film? Would it be 100% worth watching? And I think if you pull those scenes out of Destroyer, what you will see is that you have a lot of great elements, but you have much more of an early draft of that past story than you have of the present. And so one of the things that you would try to do with whatever pages you have would be to say, how can I use the power of images of efficient storytelling to dramatize some of those beats that are missing, to find ways to show how this story happened to dramatize those choices on screen rather than off screen so that the characters go through that journey in a way that we don't just understand, but that we actually feel. And this is why nobody complained about the structure of True Detective, even though it's the exact same structure. Nobody complained about the structure of Westworld, even though it's the exact same kind of structure and this exact same kind of trick. No one complained about the structure of Blue Valentine. They didn't say, well, this is a little confusing, it gets a little muddled, but wow, the performances are incredible. Because both of those stories stood independently, and when you put them together, you got something that was bigger than the sum of the parts. In this piece, I think if you pull it apart, what you'll see is that the small amount of criticism, and remember, this is a really successful film, and most people have loved this movie, but the small amount of criticism, that feeling of, it works, but it's a little muddled, that feeling of, wow, these performances are incredible, it really stems from the structural challenges of that past story, of things happening off screen so we get them, rather than on screen so we feel them. So building a story with flashbacks is a really hard thing to do. And building a story with multiple levels of structure is even more challenging. But the thing I want you to remember is this. You want to ask yourself, is the flashback happening for my audience or is my flashback happening for my character? If it's happening for your audience, you're in trouble. If it's happening for your character, you're probably doing it right. The second thing is you want to ask yourself, am I building structural flashbacks or are these flashbacks existing as independent elements? If they're independent elements, you've got a much easier job. If the flashbacks are structural, you have to actually look at all three stories. You have to look at your A story as an independent unit and ask yourself, is this movie worth seeing? You have to pull out the B story and look at the B story altogether and go, is this movie worth seeing? And then you have to look at the two stories together and say, do these two stories together have a structure that's bigger and stronger and more powerful than these stories alone? And I think what you'll see if you look at Destroyer is that the answer to that last question is 
Absolutely, yes. That even for the small flaws that happen in the storytelling in that past story, that the pressure between these two stories really shows you that when you're great at structure, when you are great at character, when you build really strong relationships where characters change, that even those small mistakes can be transcended by the specificity of your writing and by the pressure that those two storylines create. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. For a complete transcript, please visit our website, writeyourscreenplay.com slash podcast.